Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Why women? I'm Dr. Renee Frazier, a social psychologist, advertising executive, and advocate for women. On this show, we talk with experts and change makers about issues facing women today. As many of you know, I'm a big advocate for strengthening women. And when I think of that, I think of lead and succeed, ways we can lead better, we can succeed better, understand our world. And we know that our show is listened to by men and women, but men can also be wonderful advocates and mentors for women in their lives. This is a show about what issues women face. And today we're going to be talking about several that are common to women. Uh, but all come under the subject of bullying. In the United States, bullying affects over 48 million people every year. And it comes to men as well as women. It's actually interesting in terms of the way it gets measured, whether it's the self-attribution or description of negative behaviors. Uh, We know that men and women face these. I'm going to be talking with an expert who's done work in this area. But I wanted to mention one other factor that I know he'll comment on, and that is the impact of this bullying. It causes stress, anxiety, lack of sleep, and very often bullies are people who worry about their own work, don't have confidence in themselves, and in some cases feel they may be overshadowed by others and therefore have to stake their territory, so to speak. But let me turn it over to our wonderful expert. We have Dr. Mark Goulston on the show. He's a women's empowerment advocate, but he's much better known as the founder, inventor of Surgical Empathy and an author of many books. One of the most popular is Just Listen. Dr. Goulston is also a leadership coach, and he's on the power list of the top 200 biggest voices in leadership from 2022. He's been a UCLA professor of psychiatry, very involved in hostage negotiation, and has has as his mission improving mental health globally. Welcome to the show, Dr. Goulston. Well, thank you for having me, Renee. I've been looking forward to this. Well, thanks for taking the time. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your personal history in this segment. What brought you to this work and why bullying is an issue in all the work that you do? What brought you to it? Tell us a bit about your own path. Well, I was trained as a psychiatrist. I was a UCLA professor for uh, more than two decades. And one of my focuses was suicide prevention. And one of my mentors was a fellow named Dr. Ed Schneidman, who was, was to uh, suicide prevention, what people like Warren Bennis were to leadership. And when I finished training, he was a mentor and he referred me many uh, suicidal patients. Uh, and I saw them as an outpatient. And for 25 years, none of them died. Uh-huh. And what I realized is they were being bullied inside their minds. Uh-huh. There was there was often bullying going on in their lives, especially at a young age, but they were bullied in their minds by uh, a feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, powerlessness, worthlessness. And then what I discovered, and people who have been suicidal will understand what I'm about to say, death is compassionate to hopelessness that won't go away. Mm. 
And people who have been suicidal uh, or felt that way on multiple occasions will, won't, really, won't share this with you, but they tuck it away in their back pocket mm-hmm. because if worse comes to worse, they can always leave. And so uh, I developed a process, which I've only recently named in the last couple of years, called surgical empathy, because when suicidal people who are feeling suicidal feel felt by you, and they feel less alone in the dark night of the soul, Mm -hmm. they may let go of feeling felt by death as the only way to relieve their pain. And so from there, I I learned to understand people from their inside out. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm actually teaching around the world. And uh, I got into bullying uh, because... Uh, I started doing trainings with FBI and police hostage negotiators, uh-huh. and and I had this signature program that was highly rated where I would uh, have a, a, a suit jacket on, I would take it off, and I had a police uniform underneath it, <laughs> and, and I would say to the uh, FBI and police officers, uh, I'm the person in your department who shot the kid, the unarmed kid, with a plastic gun last year. Right. Uh, yeah. And I've been on medical leave for a year, and then I pull a gun out, hold it to my neck, and oh, they talk me out of it, or I'm going on permanent leave. And then they couldn't talk me out of it. I always pull the tr- trigger. It's a prop gun. And then I say, this is what you could have said to me. But you didn't. Oh my goodness! <clears throat> what a dramatic way to uh, teach that lesson. Like, I, goodness, let's let's unpack a little bit of this because Mark, you've covered some very important subjects. The idea that uh, when people are contemplating suicide, they have voices inside of them, right? Things being that they're thinking. Many of those come from their childhood. Is that right? They their their relationships and early on in their lives, in terms of their feelings for themselves? Oh, absolutely. Uh, In fact, uh, there's a program that I'm working on about how to, uh, how, in fact, I I co-authored a book with a wonderful woman who I hope we can talk about during the pandemic. I co-authored a book with her called Why Cope When You Could Heal. Mm -hmm. Why Cope When You Can Heal. And I'll tell you something, Renee, when I was sharing this with women I know, who have been traumatized. I said, I'm thinking of writing this book called Why Cope When You Can Heal. And their eyes would tear up. Mm-hmm. And I said, what's going on? And they said, if only. Mm-hmm. If, o- if only what? If only I could heal. Well, what do you mean? And they said, I'm not the same. What do you mean? I've been traumatized and I don't relax totally. Mm-hmm. I'm tentative. Mm-hmm. When I step into a room, I'm always checking it out. And I know exhaustion, but I don't know peace. I know occasional fun, but I don't know joy. Mm-hmm. And then if you ask, and then when I say to them, um, well, you seem courageous. Uh, do you think you could go through it again? And they look at me like, like a deer in the headlights. And they say, I don't know how I made it through it the first, first time. First time, yeah. So they were really traumatized by those experiences. They're really traumatized. Right. And so what happens, and, and you're, you have a, I know you have a degree in social, social psychology. Right, right. Social psych, right, yeah. which is more normal behavior, persuasion, attribution, things yeah. of that nature. But go ahead. 
And so you're well-versed in social psychology with Eric Erickson. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so, so Eric Erickson, for your listeners, uh, he's, he's famous for the steps of psychosocial development. Mm-hmm. And the first step is when, you, when you're born into the world, you can either develop trust or mistrust. And when you step into the world with trust, you go where you're looking. You're an adventurer. Exactly. When you step in the world with mistrust, you look where you're going and you're tentative. Mm -hmm. And people have been traumatized early on in life. That's right. You have a different life when you step into the world fearful as opposed to uh, fearless. Fearless and trusting. And I think... um so often when we work with people, we interact, we don't know what their history has been. Uh, we don't know how they entered the world and what experiences they've had in those psychosocial stages. So it's important to draw attention to that and allow for, I, I think, the light to come. Uh, let's talk about the idea of uh, being bullied from the outside. I know we talked about it from the inside, and I mentioned this surprising statistic that 48 million, million people report having some kind of bullying experience every year. Uh, tell me about the people who bully and why they do it. Well, I think people who bully, one of the things that they do is they trigger fear in other people. Because when you trigger fear in other people, those people are too busy defending themselves or hiding from you Mm -hmm. to let the world know that they smell a rat. Right. Right. A lot of bullies are hiding uh, either incompetence or, and we won't get into politics, that they really don't care about anyone but themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They can be narcissistic and and focused on themselves, right? And treat other people as... uh, Objects, rather than relating Absolutely. to them. Yes. And they don't want anyone uh, uh, to, uh, to reveal them. Right. And, uh, uh, in fact, uh, maybe in the next segment, because we'll need a little time, I was an advisor to the prosecution in the O.J. Simpson trial. Oh, yes. I'd like to talk and, about that. Can we cover that in our next section? I think that'd be fantastic. Um, I yeah, think there's I, a lot of lessons to be learned. Did you focus on how to help people, the victims, uh, talk about what had happened? Well, what I focused on is because I could see the world through the eyes of my suicidal patients. When I was in the courtroom, I could see the I could see the courtroom through the eyes of the jury. Ah. And so I shared about 150 faxes to the prosecution uh, about, you might want to try this. I love it, Mark. I love it. Let's uh, let's continue after this break. This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. You're listening to Dr. Mark Goulston, who's talking with us about bullying and about his insights. Now, how we advise the attorneys on the O.J. Simpson trial and what we can take away from that. Stay tuned to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Why women? This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. 
I'm a social psychologist, advertising executive, and advocate for women. We're talking with Dr. Mark Goldstone. Mark, you were going to tell us about the advice you gave to the attorneys, the prosecutors, in the case of O.J. Simpson. Tell us what you learned and what you saw in the courtroom. First of all, the way I got involved is I knew Gil Garcetti. He was the DA. He's the father of the mayor of Los Eric Garcetti. Eric Garcetti. Right, right. Eric. He's uh, now a well-known photographer, Gil Garcetti. He's doing oh, yeah. beautiful, beautiful uh, yeah. photographs. But go ahead. So you knew him. And yeah. he, he chose to bring I you in. Him. Well, I, I sent him a uh, uh, an email or a fax. I'm not sure if we had email back there. And I said, I'm not, I don't know that much about trials, but... When you're selecting jurors, especially if you're selecting African-American jurors, you might want to ask them if they ever change their mind about the way they feel about someone. Because if they didn't change their mind about an abusive father, they're not going to change their mind about O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. And, and you want people who will change their mind and then ask them what made them change their mind, which will tell you how what you have to do. And. He came back to me and he said, I shared this with Marsha and Bill Hodgman, who was the original prosecutor before Christopher Darden. And he came back and he said, we looked at each other and we thought, this is, we never would have thought about this. Mm, good point. And so he said, he said, if you want, you can come and be an observer and come in when your schedule allows. So I was probably in the courtroom 20, 25 times. Oh my. And I had... And I had this ability to look at the courtroom through the jurors' eyes. But, but, but to get back to bullying, there was one day, uh, September 5th, 1995, when 80% of what I know about bullies, I learned that one day. Oh, my. Because Tell I'll, us what happened. Be, well, uh, I'll jar your memory. And that day, there was a, there was a character in the O.J. Simpson trial named Detective Mark Furman. Oh, yes. We and on that him. day, he took, he took the Fifth Amendment. And I was sequestered in the top of the criminal courts building because if he hadn't taken the Fifth Amendment, F. Lee Bailey uh, was going to interview me to see if he perjured himself uh, in the courtroom. Now, I didn't know he took the Fifth Amendment, and I'm up there by myself in the top of the criminal courts building, and Renee, my life flashed before my eyes. No. I'm thinking, what am I doing here? I mean, this is crazy. What's, go- what's going on there? I-, I-, I even had thoughts. Am I the fall guy? What's yeah, going to happen? Right, right. I have these crazy thoughts. <laughs> and then around 7.15, F. Lee Bailey and Carl Douglas, who was John- one of Johnny Cochran's uh, partners, come up, and Bill Hodgman comes up. And I didn't know what had happened, and I don't even know why he wanted to interview me. I think part of it is that during the cross-examination earlier in the trial, uh, F. Lee Bailey had promised the world that he was going to break this rogue cop. And I got a subpoena, but it never came to me because my office was in a building on the corner of Olympic and Barrington, which fell down in the earthquake. Oh, my so what happened is they, they couldn't find me in the middle of the trial because <laughs> I had no address. And so this is later in the trial. And, uh, and so there I am. And then here is something that is true of most bullies. What I realized, especially in the workplace, what bullies will do, uh, some of them will be charming because that's how they get into a position of power. 
and then they'll frustrate you, anger you, mm-hmm. and then they will outrage you. And when they outrage you, you scurry around to deal with it. So I knew that that's what F. Lee Bailey was going to do because uh-huh. I'd seen him do it in the courtroom. Yeah. And so I am telling you, Renee, I go from almost panicking to figuring out F. Lee Bailey and all difficult people. So at 7.15, he comes in, and I am so confident in how I figured him out. I'm fiddling around with my notebook, and Bill Hodgman, uh, uh, who was uh, with me, one of the prosecutors, he says, Mark, uh, Mr. Bailey's here uh, to talk to you. And I have this look, which I developed from my hostage negotiation training and from suicide prevention training, where I can look into people's eyes and hold on to their eyes. And, 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 but it's always done to save lives. That's powerful, though. It's not intimidating when you do that, when you lock in with people? No. No. Tell me what it causes, what what, what happens. Well, well, so what happens is when I used to, and I have a story about a suicidal patient that I, I went into her dark night of the soul and grabbed onto her eyes, and my look said, you're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I psychologically grabbed her by the nape of the neck, mm-hmm. and, I went, and I went into her world, and wow. she felt, anyway, that's a whole other story. Oh, another. So what was Ethley Bailey? What, what was the locking so, eyes with him? So, so I, so I have this ability to lock on eyes, and if we had done this by Zoom, I can do it by Zoom. No good. Q&A. Okay. But, but it's never to intimidate. It, it's just to look in, and uh, and so I lock onto his eyes, and I learn what innuendo means. Hmm. Innuendo is when people make statements. They're trying to agitate you, and so he starts, and he says, Dr. Goldston, we don't know what you're doing here. We know you've been here through much of the trial, and we wanted to see, you know, what your uh, relationship with Detective Mark Furman was. And so normally when someone makes a statement and you go, aha, they're pulling you towards them. Mm-hmm. And when they make another statement, you go, aha. And, you, and what I felt physically is that he was trying to pull me towards him. So instead of saying, aha, I looked into his eyes and I blinked <laughs> and I said nothing. Uh, and after about five minutes, Bill Hodgman looks at me and says, Mark, you haven't said anything. I mean, I didn't say a uh-huh, I didn't say anything. And then I looked at him because uh, Bailey didn't know what I was doing. And I looked at him and I said, Bill, he hasn't asked me a question. Uh huh. That's right. Very good point. And I looked back at Bailey. And again, remember what I said, bullies frust- frustrate you, frustrate you, anger you, and then they try outrage. And then they try to outrage you because when you feel outrage, your tendency is to get enraged and a lot of people are uncomfortable with that. And so by looking him in the eye, he was hitting me with his best shots. Yes, I get it. And, I get uh, it. And so so he changed. He started asking me questions. And I kept looking at him. And what was on my mind is I'm not perfect, but I'm not hiding a murderer. What's your story? <laughs> that was my mindset. <laughs> and he just kept asking questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, and then he fi- and I knew what he would do would insult me. Right, deliberately say, to so, to get you outraged so and angered. Right. Yeah, so 
Right. And he said, so you're here to say that you didn't do anything to affect Detective Furman's testimony. You didn't medicate him. You didn't coach him. You didn't advise him. And uh, so it, it was it was the equivalent of his saying early in the trial. So you never said the N word. Got it. Got it. Right. Trying to get you raised. You know, I have to I have to say, Mark, <clears throat> I was married for 30 years and I've been divorced now for 10 and I'm much happier. And I see exactly what you described in my ex-husband. All the anger and the bullying, which I didn't label as bullying at the time. And we'll talk about how women don't necessarily label it that way. But uh, this notion of frustration and then anger and then outrage, it was almost like a trap, right, to deliberately pull me into a fight or an argument or a conversation. And I have a feeling a lot of people listening are hearing that step-by-step basis. I never thought of it as a deliberate attempt, though, to be able to commandeer you, to control you, uh, to have a negative impact on you, almost to uh, teach you a lesson. Uh, but this idea of frustrating and then anger makes so much sense. I, do you find that women are more prone to this because of the way we're socialized when we're younger? Oh, absolutely. And especially early on in their careers. In fact, something I, I want to finish the story because there's a real punchline. Oh, good. Okay. But what I want, <laughs> but, but I, maybe in the next segment, I'm going to talk about something that I uh, learned uh, when I attended an all-women's conference and, and my mentee was leading it and she invited me on stage. So that's the story for the next segment. But to finish this story, so there he is and he hits me with his shot to outrage me. So imagine I'm looking into his eyes. I count to seven and say nothing. And it's like the E.F. Hutton commercial. And I thought, this is really working well. And <laughs> I count to seven again. And then they're all leaning in. And then in a very measured tone, I said, Mr. Bailey. So there's my innuendo. And he goes, yes. <laughs> I said, Mr. Bailey, my mind wandered the last seven minutes. Can you repeat everything you said? Because I think it was important. <laughs> and, he goes, and he goes, what? And I look at him. I'm holding his eyes the whole time. I said, yeah, my mind wandered because it's 7 p.m. and I don't think I can get my car. You know, it's in a lock that is closed. I mean, I, and he's looking at me like I said, it sounded important. So he looked at Carl Douglas with a look that says, what did I say? Because verbal bullies, they don't have to have substance if they can provoke you. Right, exactly. And, 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 and Carl Douglas said, well, you said these things and those things, but I knew I'd had them. You did. Then, you defeated then, him, right? You took all the air out of his wings, right, when you said that. And I like that idea of counting to seven because this idea of getting trapped, right? We often get into a conversation. It's frustrating. Nobody's, they're not listening. They're not getting our point of view. Then we get angered, and they're waiting to uh, incite that anger and get you to be outraged. So counting to seven is good advice. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, and we're learning about how we can be impacted and fight back with bullies. Stay tuned for the next section when we'll talk about bullying to women and some interesting stories from Dr. Mark Goulson. Thank you, Mark. Stay tuned.
This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. We're talking about bullying and how common it is, what we can do about it. And I shared that I was in a bullying relationship in my marriage. And I got a lot of good advice. We have Dr. Mark Goulston on to give us counsel and advice. Mark, you were telling us about this eye-to-eye combat with Ethley Bailey, the famous attorney. Take us back and tell us what happened next. Well, what happened, as I mentioned, I was sequestered in the O.J. Simpson trial on the day that Detective Mark Furman took the Fifth Amendment because uh, F. Lee Bailey had uh, tried to subpoena me in the middle of the trial uh, because he was uh, he thought that I had somehow coached or medicated or done something with uh, with Mark Furman, Furman. and I hadn't. Mm-hmm. So there I was on the top of the criminal courts building and. And what I also learned is that uh, he used innuendo, and innuendo is when people make statements to lure you in right. and, and take you take you through a, uh, a pattern of frustrating you, angering you, and outraging you. And most people are uncomfortable being outraged because you feel trapped. Right. So either you hunker down or you get enraged and you feel out of control. So he basically did that, and... Uh, uh, and I wasn't telling him what he wanted, uh, and I t- told him uh, uh, my mind wandered while you spoke for the last six minutes. And so he started talking, and then this is where I reversed it. I said, Mr. Bailey, in that slow voice, a little bit passive-aggressive, I said, Mr. Bailey, I have a feeling I'm not telling you what you want me to say, and I'm really tired. I've been here for 12 hours. Can you tell me what you want me to say? Because mm-hmm. if it's close to the truth, I'd be happy to say it. But if it isn't, I'm going to have a problem with that. And he looked at me and looked at Bill Hodgman like, this guy is crazy. And then he says to Bill Hodgman, I don't think we have to uh, uh, you know, talk to Dr. Goldston anymore because it was a moot point because he had taken the Fifth Amendment. And so, so he goes to leave. And I said, Mr. Bailey, I have a question for you. And the prosecutor, Bill Hodgman, says, Mark, Mark, it's the end of the trial. It's just, I said, I've got it handled, Bill. And he looks at me and he said, yeah. I said, uh, remember earlier in the trial when they said that when the N-word was say, said and, uh, and Christopher Darden said, you can't unring a bell. You know, when that awful word is brought up, it's going to trigger everyone. He said, yeah, so. He said, well, yesterday in front of the world and newspapers and everything, you uh, – uh, you associated me with Detective Mark Furman, who is now despised as a police officer, and it's in the media that you're going to meet with me. He says, so. I said, so yesterday you slurred me. Do you have any idea how we can unslur a slur? <laughs> and he, shrugs, he shrugs his shoulder, looks at Bill Hodgman like, who is this guy? He walks out of the room. Bill Hodgman says, don't worry about it. It's the end of the trial. They misspelled your name anyway. And Effie Bailey comes back in and he says, uh, I'll give you a retraction in tomorrow's newspaper if you tell me what you figured out about me. Ooh. <laughs> and that's the end of the story. But, but, but here's what I, how I want to bring it to women. And we can talk about a conference where one of my mentees was doing a wealthy women's conference. And there were about 130 women in the audience and about four men. And because I was her mentor, you know, I was there. 
And there was something I was picking up, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And then at the end of the day, she had a panel with WNBA star Lisa Leslie Uh and her business partner. Mm -hmm. And I figured out what it was. So picture this, you know, you're probably thinking, Dr. Goulston, why do you, why do you chase after adventure like this? So I, I'm, so uh, Alicia Dunham says, oh, it's my mentor, Dr. Go- Dr. Mark, come on up here. So I go up there as I'm going on the stage, I said, I'm going to say something that is probably going to be offensive, but I'm not intending it to be so. Uh, offensive to women. Okay. And so, you know, the suspense bill. Yeah, really, I'm ready. <laughs> so, you're ready. I said something that I've been noticing, and I think why women sometimes get into difficulty is because a lot of women have anticipatory pushback, mm-hmm. which means they're so used to being dismissed, mm-hmm. talked down to, marginalized, that, that even when someone is not doing it, when there's no facts and evidence, Sometimes their voices will go up and they'll be a little bit out of anxiety. And what happens is if the other person hasn't even said a word, they don't know where it's coming from. And I think it can work against you. And I'm coming up here because Lisa Leslie's business partner doesn't have that. And as I'm going on the stage, I I, uh, speak to her partner and I said, you've never had a problem in your career ever, have you? <laughs> she said, "Yeah, I don't, under, I don't understand why women have problems." And I looked at her. And I said, "Ex-military, right?" Said, <laughs> you got it. <laughs> and I said, "And I said, here's the lesson to be learned: is that first of all, if you anticipate that you're going to be pushed down because of prior treatment, and your anxiety makes your voice get shrill, right? It, it's not going to go well." Mm-hmm. And I said, "But Lisa Leslie's business partner, what she does." is when she enters a room, she's all about solutions. So where are we in the discussion? What do we need to figure out? Who's going to do what? Uh, uh, Where we need to get to at the end of this meeting? And so she's all about solving whatever is in front. Yes, yes. And I said, isn't that true? And she looked at me and she said, how did you know that? I said, because when when, when there is an issue, or a problem that needs to be solved, if your whole focus is moving the ball forward and you just tune out everything else, what happens is people will come to see you as uh, an incredible problem solver. Right, and a leader. That, right, right. And a leader, mm-hmm. and, they'll, and they'll appreciate that. And the point is, it, it doesn't new to you, but it's, 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 it's non it's not about gender. It's You're right. A, That's a right. leader is someone who sees the problem, says, "Let we need to find a solution. This is what's coming towards us. Here's an opportunity we need to we need to uh, seize, and here is uh, a dangerous thing that we need to deal with, and just." Just focus on that. Well, one of the ways that uh, we advise women on the show that comes up frequently, I interview a lot of very successful women with companies and women who serve on commissions and in government positions of power. And this notion of anticipating pushback comes from years of being mistreated or diminished, right? I happen to be small. And so I see that happening a lot where I'm I'm diminished in a situation and there's an assumption that the man that is with me is 
in charge. Or if a woman is a woman of color, there are biases in people's mind. And what we advise, and I'm hearing you say, Mark, is you got to push through it. Take command of the situation. Don't hold that chip on your shoulder. Take command of the situation in terms of finding a solution, rallying with the or identifying what the issues are, and act as a leader. Uh, if we could get ourselves caught up in, oh, I think they think this, and I'm feeling that, you're right. Your voice can go to that shrill level, and your fear gets shown. You've got to not show it at all. And women have an issue because they often come into a room with a perspective of, what can I do to help others? And there's nothing wrong with wanting to help others, but by taking control, looking for solutions, you're going to be helping the whole group. And I think that's a good advice. Now, I, I want to ask you specifically about bullying. When you're in a situation where a person is intimidating you, they're deliberately frustrating, trying to get you angry, trying to get outrage from you. You mentioned counting to seven and pausing. What other pieces of advice can you give our listeners? Well, I think the first thing you should do is take out a sheet of paper, write down all the names of people in your life who uh, tend to be bullies. Ah. And, and, and the point is, never expect them not to bully you. Oh. And if you have a conversation where they don't bully you, consider that gravy. Uh-huh. Never enter, because what will happen is if you go into a conversation with someone who always bullies you or triggers you, and you and your guard is slightly down, and they do it, you're going to scurry around. So make a list of all those people, and when you're in a conversation, don't be aloof, but hold a bit of yourself back. Ah, uh, hold back, okay. Don't allow yourself to and be then, pulled into that frustration or anger, right? Right, and then if they and then if they do something, because you were expecting it, uh, there are various ways you can respond. One of them is uh, what I did with uh, Bailey. You could say, you know, uh, uh, my mind wandered. Uh, can you say that to me again? <laughs> yeah, they're going to get befuddled. Or another thing you can say to them is, uh, could you run that by me in a different voice? Because the, because the way you brought it up just gets has me all sort of you know uh, uh, triggered inside. Whoa. It was important. Run it, run it by me can, uh, in another voice. Or you can look at them tilt your head and go, huh? <laughs> now, what you're demonstrating, what I did with Bailey, is as they're trying to provoke you, again, they're often trying to provoke you to hide either incompetence or that they really don't care about anyone, mm-hmm. even though they may say the opposite. And, and so by provoking you, you're so busy defending yourself, you never stand up to them. Uh, but That's if you right. do this... Uh, and I can send you a link to uh, seven comebacks to verbal bullies. I, I like that. that. <laughs> yeah. All right. The other thing that's really important. You know what, Mark? We're gonna, we're running out of time. Let's go do that in our next segment. This is the Dr. Renee Frazier Show, Why Women. And we're talking about bullying. And we have our expert, Dr. Mark Goulston on. He's going to share with us seven comebacks that we can use. And we're going to talk about his new book, why cope when you can heal? Stay tuned to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Why women?
Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. We're talking about bullying, and I have been bullied myself. I've got a wonderful person on, Dr. Mark Goulston. Mark, talk to us about how do we make a comeback? What do we say to these people? You said you have seven comebacks. Can you share a few of those with us on the air? Yeah, absolutely. So, so in other words, uh, you know ahead of time someone uh, who tends to bully you, mm-hmm. so don't expect them not to. And then in the conversation when they do it, they're expecting to frustrate, anger, and outrage you, catch you off balance, and then go for the jugular. But if you hold a little bit of yourself back, and, and, and also remember this, poise begins with a pause. Mm, poise okay. begins with a pause. So, so you, can pull, you can pause any time in our, your life, and when they say whatever they say, look at them, look them in the eye, and wait two seconds, and that's going to make them nervous because mm. they're going to think, uh-oh, she's on to me. And then at that point, you can say things, and there's an article, or you can say, my mind wandered. Can you run that by me again? Um, uh, I have an older brother who, who, who fancies himself like a Jewish mafioso, and, and one of his comebacks is, you got to be kidding. <laughs> I like that uh, one. Another one uh, I like that one. Another one is, are you having a bad day? <laughs> that, was way, that was way over the top. Another one is, uh, I got a little bit crazy in this article. You could uh, channel Scarlett O'Hara and look at them and go, oh, fiddle-dee-dee. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, uh, you can tilt your head and say, huh. And here's the last one, which, well, I'm just going to say it. If someone is doing that, you want to look at them and you go, and you go, sniff, sniff, like, did you step in something? <laughs> I am telling you, there must be something about bullying and stepping in dog do. I don't know. But you do, you do that, they will totally lose it. I see. Yes. So you're, you're interrupting but, but their here, momentum, right? Their ability to right. get you and throwing them off their guard, almost like pulling a carpet out from under them, which is a great way to do it. And, I, you know, these are good practical advice. I know the sniff sniff, I have to think about using that. But, I, you know, I've seen this with employees in my own company where some of them are difficult with other people and I have to give them tactics and I'll let the women know what are the tactics they should consider. And speaking of that, I should say women also bully other women sometimes. And fortunately, the more women move up in the chain, sometimes they take on more male-oriented aggressive behaviors or they think they need to. And and that can include being uh, bullying toward other women, which is unfortunate. But Mark, we only have about 10 more minutes minutes with you. I thought it'd be great to talk about this book that you wrote during the pandemic. Uh, why, what is it called? Why cope? Why cope when you can why heal? Cope when you can heal. Yeah, tell us about it. It's actually where I introduced this term for an approach I've been using for over 40 years called surgical empathy. Mm-hmm. So what happens is when we are traumatized, and it was directed towards uh, uh, healthcare workers, but it can work for anyone who's been traumatized. It works perfectly well for veterans also. But if you think about this, when we are traumatized, severely traumatized, what happens is it triggers in us something I call the horror, terror, don't panic trifecta. Hmm. So we're har- we're horrified. Uh-huh. And then we're terrified, terrified it's going to happen again. Right. And then what happened is we're afraid we're going to panic. 
So what we do is we push away our thoughts and feelings because we have to go back and function. You think right. of a healthcare worker mm-hmm. that goes out and behind the hospital, uh, they ran out of room in the morgue. So, so what happens is they push away their, those negative thoughts and uh, fearful feelings. But they're still in they there, function. aren't they? Yeah, they do that to and function. That, Unfortunately, they're still there inside of your psyche, right? That can be very right. damaging, right? Totally. And what ha- so what happens is uh, when you're in danger, danger as well as excitement triggers adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And adrenaline enables you to push away the thoughts and feelings and function, uh, especially because you're doing that because your fellow coworkers are doing it for you. But then when the danger passes, the adrenaline insulation goes away. Why would veterans become suicidal when they're no longer in battle? It's because the insulation from the danger has gone goes away. away. Has gone away. Everything they pushed away, mm-hmm. it feels like it's going to come up mm-hmm. and it's going to rip them apart. And, you know, and that's why they. Uh, that's why people with PTSD avoid social contact, drink and do drugs to numb it, have to nightmares, mm-hmm. because all, everything you pushed away to survive is threatening to come up and rip you apart. And so why cope when you can heal is a process, and we want to do pilot uh, programs for groups of people who have been traumatized right. of helping them go back to their traumas, walk through it together, uh-huh. help them breathe through it, right. and, and feel the feelings and thoughts yeah. that they didn't have time to do when they were too busy surviving. Yeah, I, I like the words. I mean, uh, as Mark, as you're saying, I, it's a part of therapy where you have to, as you said, bleed through it. You have to deal with those serious emotions and uh, walling them off just creates uh, more problems. It festers and can boil up in ways you don't even expect. It's uh, it's hard to imagine some of these you know difficulties the uh, first line workers went through. I know that when you did this book, you also brought in Dr. Diana Hendel and uh, let her, I believe, co-author. Can you tell us? about her and why you brought her to the book? Yeah, well, I'm I'm through with male leaders. <laughs> I really am. Because, and, and I'll tell you the reason. Because I think uh, male leaders can't stand to lose or be humiliated and, and, uh, and because of the power and the loss of power. Whereas most women I know... Uh, just want to get stuff done, right? Right. And, yes. And, and they're you, and they're used to being humiliated if they had a toddler or an infant, yes. you know, uh, screaming in the middle of you know uh, Kmart or something. Mm-hmm. And so You've they, had meltdowns. So, so you know what it's it. like, and you're humiliated, and it's just part of your job. It's part of life when you're a mother, right? That you get humiliated by your kids uh, in many ways. But men aren't as as accustomed to that. Huh? They haven't experienced it the yeah. same way. That's right. And, and uh, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. I'm going to have you on that. Uh, and I have over 300 episodes. Uh, and uh, it's in the top 0.5% of all podcasts. But I had Diana Hendel on, and she was the CEO of Long Beach Memorial Hospital when they had a double homicide suicide by an employee of the month. Oh. And she led the hospital through that. Oh, uh, terrible. Back to financial. Uh, it was. But then what happened is she resigned because she realized she had PTSD 
And when she got the hospital back to being healthy, yes. she decided now it's time for me to get healthy. And so she consults to organizations uh, and companies going through trauma. Uh-huh. And I just I just fell in love with her, and we wrote two books together. The first one was Why Coke When You Can Heal, and the second one is Trauma to Triumph, uh, a roadmap for leading through disruption and thriving on the other side. And that's what companies and organizations need to do now. The, the trauma is behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, From uh, the, the pandemic. The world, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. the pandemic. But, uh, but how do you lead from that? to thriving because uh, there's going to be all these aftershocks. And and I just thought she was amazing. And so I wrote the book. I love it. The books to introduce it to the world. I think that's a great, uh, you know, that's a whole nother topic, which is how do you put away some of the trauma that we've been through and how do you manage to look forward? Uh, Because we're not going back, right? There is no, quote, new normal in the sense of it's the way it used to be. It's just a little adjusted. No, it's very different. And our psyches have changed. You know, we only have a a couple of minutes left, Mark. I I like the idea of from a bullying perspective, the seven comebacks that you gave us and for us to be able to think through, okay, they're deliberately frustrating me, moving me into anger and moving me into outrage. Uh, When you think about women and the situations they put themselves in, any other advice to get away from bullies, not put yourself in that kind of relationship, see it ahead of time? I mean, you mentioned often bullies are insecure and they themselves are easily humiliated. What signals can you give us as women so we stay away from those kinds of relationships? Well, as I mentioned before, I think if you make a list without editing it, no one else is going to see it, uh, of those people where just the sound of their name or text message puts <laughs> a knot in your stomach. Right. And, and also be aware of how they treat other people. One of the things you don't want to be snookered by is thinking that when someone is charming to you and they're awful to other people, that's going to be you late down the road. That's right. That's right. So, uh, you know, a, a, a tiger doesn't change its stripes. But I think one of the most important things is reach out to the people you're thankful and grateful to. Because one of the worst things you can do in a, a waste of your, your psyche is to focus so much on worrying about the bullies that you fail to thank the people who care about you. Good point. Good point. And surround yourself with those, spend time with them and uh, be in a state of gratitude, right? Be in a sense, uh, sense uh, expressing your, your gratefulness. And I like the idea of making the list because when you do that, you can probably see some common traits and say, OK, I should put myself in other positions where I don't have to face those kinds of people. It's been great uh, talking with you, Mark. I, uh, this has been an interesting show about bullying and about ways we can identify what the situation is how we get out of it and uh, when we're being, if you will, triggered and brought into it. We've been talking with Dr. Mark Goulston, who's the author of Just Listen. He's a famous leadership coach and uh, he's got a podcast you can listen to. Mark, will you tell us the name of that as we we end our show? Yeah, it's called My Wake Up Call. It's available wherever you 
Catch your podcast. Wake up is one word. My wake up call. I'll be looking for that. Thank you for being on the show, Mark. Thank you all for listening. This is the uh, Dr. Renee Frazier show as we talk about issues facing women. Today we talked about bullying. I got some good advice. I'm certainly going to look for that fundamental action of frustrating me, angering me, and getting me outraged so I can stop, pause, maybe wait seven seconds or have those fun comebacks that uh, Mark gave us advice on. Uh, just remember, you're listening to Renee Fraser from the Fraser Communications Company. You can find our podcasts and radio broadcasts available on our website, FraserCommunications.com. We're a full-service advertising and marketing firm led by a woman and a psychologist. You're listening to the Dr. Renee Fraser Show, Why Women Have a Great Week Ahead. <laughs>